And now, live from Level 5 Productions on the island of Milleronia, it's The Larry Miller Show! Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who would love to be in the Super Bowl halftime show. Hi, folks, and welcome back to the Larry Miller Show. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And you know what? It's a beautiful day here. It's it's a gorgeous day here on Milleronia, and I love it. That's true. It's my island. I've made it. It's true. And we do control the weather. That's true, too. But it's a beautiful day. That doesn't take away from how beautiful it is. Oh, boy, and the Colonel and I are ready to make a good show for you today. We always are, but we get there, and we make a great show. We love it, and we're glad you're here. And, of course, oh, that music just takes me away. It takes Colonel Jeff away, too. And, of course, that's the Bob Elliott Orchestra and the Ray Goulding Dancers featuring boy tenor Hank Williams Jr. asking the musical question, Are you ready for some football? Now, first of all, the answer is yes. It's a simple answer to a great question. Are you ready for some football by Hank Williams Jr.? Yes, I am. Yes, you are. And there's much more to say about Hank Williams Jr., and uh, there's much more to say about Bob Elliott and Ray Goulding. So that's a little later in the show. Boy, am I looking forward to that. And by Amazon, still the greatest company in the world to me because they do three things no other company does. Number one, whatever you want, you can ask for. Number two, whatever you ask for, they'll send you. They already have it there. They have it in the biggest warehouse in the history of the world. And you know what? That's number three, which is the biggest one. They send us. They send me and Colonel Jeff and the Larry Miller Show a percentage of whatever you order. And we put that money right toward our next big fancy fried chicken dinner, which with two drinks beforehand in a different place. But I love getting that dough from that. Where, you know, they're a terrific company. And our sponsor as uh, our sponsors are terrific. They, they we we enjoy that relationship very much, and that is no baloney. And so, by the way, you want to get to Amazon? Don't go there yourself, for goodness' sake. Just hold it right there, buddy. And uh, what you want to do is go to our website. That's, that's two weeks in a row. I got it right. I had to think for a second. <laughs> Thank you, Colonel. I get a gold star for that. Yes, you can go to our website, which is LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. (laughs) And that, of course, is my favorite car honk from an automobile made exclusively of saxophones. And uh, you know what, though? You go to our website, LarryMillerPodcast.com. One of these days on the show, I'll remember all of those without having to stop and think. And I'm not embarrassed that I have to stop and think about it. 
I'm not proud of it, but I, I, I'm, but I'm not embarrassed about it. You go to LarryMillerPodcast.com, and we have a banner there that says Amazon. And that's what you want to click. And we'll take you to Amazon. We here on the show, Colonel Jeff and I both have an alarm. You could, you could do it in the middle of the night. And next to our beds, we get that old uh, in-like flint light flashing. And we know that means we've got to get to headquarters. And we do. We go to the stu studio and we get you right to Amazon.com. I had to think about it. I have to think about it all. And by PayPal. Terrific company. We love these guys. They make you feel like you're saving the world. And who knows, maybe you are. And you know what, folks? It it does mean a lot. What you do, do is, if, if you enjoy my show here, and why wouldn't you? And you'd like to send us a few bucks to help out, and why wouldn't you? You can do it through PayPal. And I... I I don't like to stand on ceremony. Uh, ceremony instead of saying, "Well, donate or pay what you like." I like to say, "Buy us some drinks," and that's a good way to send money. You know what? There are different levels because with drinking, there's level one through five, all the way up to we're driving to Florida. That makes me laugh. Is that okay that it makes me laugh? I wrote it. I perform it. But it still makes me chuckle. Good. Good for me. Good for you. And uh, you know what, though? Look for the PayPal banner on our website, too. Once again, that's LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. <laughs> that's the cutest... And most offensive sound to end anything on, well, on radio like this. I love to call it radio. Old radio boy. We'll be talking about that actually again in the show, too, for a very good reason. And thank you, though, because every little bit helps us keep the old leg lamp lit. And thank you to everyone who has contributed already. It, uh, it means the world, and we're very grateful. And by... Me! That's right. There are signed hardcover copies of my book, Spoiled Rotten America, and they're now for sale at store.comedyfilmnerds.com. And uh, I think you, you'll like it. I, I had a great time writing the book. It did very well on sale. And we have, uh, well, signed hardcover copies ready for you at store.comedyfilmnerds.com. So, thank you in advance for that. And that brings us to my favorite part of the show, the joke of the week. <laughs> Boy, I do feel great today. Thank God I do every day. But you know what? Milleronia is beautiful, and I'm really happy to be doing the show right now. And, uh, well, the joke of the week, it's always good to pass something along and if you like it, you pass it along too. This is a good one. This is, this is, well, I've always liked this joke. And, uh, and here it comes. A priest and a rabbi are on the same park bench in Central Park. And uh, they're sitting there. It's a beautiful spring day. And, uh, well, they're all, you know, dressed as they should be. 
uh, the priest is wearing his priest's outfit there, and the the, the collar and the, and the black suit and the and the coat, and the uh, and the rabbi is uh, well. They both have the dro- dressed the way they should be, and they both have their hats on their laps, turned up intentionally. They're collecting money for their congregations, and the priest, by the way, is looks just the way he should. He's handsome and he's slender, and uh, he's got his hair parted neatly. And he looks fantastic in the in the collar there, and the rabbi looks like uh, the rabbi. He looks like the rabbi should. You might not call him handsome, but you might. I don't know you, but he's sitting there too. He's a couple of pounds overweight, and he's got his black suit on, and he's got his black beard, and he's got his hat turned up on his lap, and he's collecting too. And folks, all day long, a constant stream, men come by and they go over to the priest and they put some money in the priest's hat and they bow their heads and they kneel and the priest blesses them. And then they stand up and they go over to the rabbi and spit in his face. They not only don't give the rabbi money, they spit on him. And then they leave all day long. In a constant stream, they give money to the priest, get blessed, go over to the rabbi, no money, spit in his face. And by around three o'clock in the afternoon, well, a cop comes over, an NYPD guy, and he says, uh, "Fellas, I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but this has been my this is my patrol area today." And I, I and he looks over to the rabbi, and says, "Rabbi, I have to tell you." You know, there are thousands of benches here in Central Park. If you just switch to another bench, you won't have to go through this all day long. And the rabbi turns to the priest and says, Hey, Moish, get a load of this guy telling us our business. <laughs> I think that's a terrific joke. And there was a version of it, by the way. I've I've loved that joke for a long time. There was a version of it that Colonel Jeff found that felt like about a hundred years old, and it was well in Italy. Uh, two uh, street bums are, you know, have their hats open too, and they collect. And it's a good joke. And uh, but then I told uh, Colonel Jeff the one I knew. It's a great thing about jokes; uh, they they often change, and they're sometimes they're around a long time. Well. I like that one. Colonel Jeff likes that one. And I hope you did too, folks. And you know what? If you did, pass it along to a family member, a loved one, or a friend. And we'll keep that joke going another hundred years. And that brings me to the second favorite part of the show. The Poetry Corner. That cough sounds like what the rabbi would do after they spit on him every time. They just, <laughs> anyway, this is, uh, oh, I love this, a poetry corner, a poem to take with you. Sometimes they're short, sometimes they're long. This is a terrific one. It's not long, and uh, it's called The Conclusion by Sir Walter Raleigh. And that fella did so many things in his life, 
and one of them was write beautiful poems like this, The Conclusion. Even such is time that takes in trust our youth, our joys, our all we have, and pays us but with earth and dust. Who in the dark and silent grave, when we have wandered all our ways, shuts up the story of our days? But from this earth, this grave, this dust, my God shall raise me up, I trust. Isn't that nice? Boy, Sir Walter Raleigh. Beautiful. What a good title, too. The Conclusion. Yeah, that's our conclusion. What a great last couplet there. But from this earth, this grave, this dust, my God shall raise me up, I trust. And uh, same thing. Please pass that along if you liked it. That's Sir Walter Raleigh, 1552 to 1618. And that's a good, strong, healthy life for, that's a long life for that era, especially the Elizabethan era. And especially those days, good Lord, that's, uh, wait a minute, it's 50, 66 years. Well, that's pretty good there. And uh, he, what a man he was. God bless him. Explorer, aristocrat, soldier, spy, and courtier. He was a courtier, and that means he charmed people at the court, at the royal court, mainly in this case after laying down his cloak in the mud, That, which is a true story that charmed Queen Elizabeth. And, uh, well, she loved him and he loved her, and, well, he was a courtier. And, by the way, he, he popularized tobacco, uh, not just through Raleigh brand cigarettes. I think those are still around. I just said to the colonel, those still around? And, well, why not? I'm sure they are somewhere. I remember working with a theatrical group, and one of the guys smoked old gold cigarettes. And I said to him, too, you know, he's a good guy, and I said, where in the world do you get those? Old gold, for goodness sake. And he said, well, in New York, where he lives down in near Greenwich Village, he said, there's a tobacco store there and they sell these. And I said, well, how do you like that? Old gold. I bet they have Raleigh's, too. And uh, he, boy, Walter Raleigh did everything. And he was ultimately beheaded. Not by Queen Elizabeth. And there's no... No pun in the name there being beheaded. And he was by James I. And uh, James apparently didn't go for the cloak in the mud as much as Elizabeth did. And Raleigh's head was embalmed and presented to his wife. I thought you might like to know that because I just read it today. And the colonel and I just found that out. But they did that. They, uh, the James the First's guys, or however they do that, or did it. They embalmed Walter Raleigh's head and gave it to his wife, and they didn't. They didn't have written down there what her reaction was. But you know what? 
Then the the, the colonel found there in the, the little story about Walter Raleigh, his wife kept that head in a felt bag and tied it up, and she kept it with her. She lived another 29 years, and she kept it with her the whole time. And I said to him, what, you mean in a freezer? And, you know, like a, you know, a Coleman chest with plenty of ice? No, no, just the felt bag. But, uh, God bless him, he did a lot, and for all of us, and we're still feeling it, and especially from that poem, The Conclusion. And that brings me to my third favorite part of the show. M-M-M, Triple M, The Magic Movie Moment. This is a wonderful movie, and I, I, I saw the name in the listing in uh, down at Turner Movie Classics, in fact. And, uh, well, I like them a lot anyway. I hope you do, too. And it's worth mentioning, by the way, when I say I really, really like something, it doesn't mean they're a sponsor. I'll, I'm always proud to tell you, oh, these folks are a sponsor, too. And it means a lot. Uh, but I'm always happy to say, oh, I like these guys, and I like those Turner Movie Classics guys. And this movie is from 1941, and it's a great movie. And it's called That Hamilton Woman. And well, what a cast. Lawrence Olivier and Vivian Lee. And they were married, by the way, and at the t- this time they, they were married... Oh, Lord, what a great cast. Alan Mowbray, Gladys Cooper, you'd know her from a thousand things. And the same with Henry Wilcoxon. Boy, oh, boy, you know you know all these folks from lots of things. It's a great movie. And it's about, well, it's the story of great naval hero Lord Nelson. And there's still a big post in the heart of of England there in the heart of London, Nelson's Column. And this guy really was a great, great hero for them. And he had a great motto, too, by the way. His uh, naval battle motto was, forget tactics, just go straight at them. And you know what? Boy, go straight at them. That's a pretty good motto. And uh, uh, for all of us, I I think. And you know what? Boy, oh boy. And directed by Alexander Korda. And the point is, this movie is a story. And the reason it's called That Hamilton Woman is because Lord Nelson was married at the time to, and his wife was Lady Frances Nelson, played by Gladys Cooper. Oh, again, you've seen her in a thousand things. And she could play a great, mean cranky, annoyed woman. And uh, lots of other things, too, but she was great at cranky and annoyed. And in this, uh, well, Nelson, and it's a true, true story in his life, Nelson met another woman who was widowed, a woman named Hamilton, and they began an affair and they loved each other. They fell in love, and they were, well, they were a couple. And he never got divorced from his wife, but 
He was at sea a lot and in battles a lot and saving England a lot. And you know what? Whenever he was home, he was with that Hamilton woman. And the reason it's called that is because that was what, well, all the upper crust people called her in England. They adored Nelson, but they weren't crazy about the fact that he was not carrying on. He was in love with, and she was in love with him, uh, the person they called that Hamilton woman. And they kept, I love how for the title, they kept that little, you know, uh, well, a little put down there. That was the way the aristocrats in England in that era would have called her. <laughs> that was, a, you know, uh, they wouldn't have said, oh, this uh, this lady who was here and who helps Nord, Lord Nelson get through his time in England and get him fit again to go fight for us. No, she was just that Hamilton woman. So there you are. But you know what? Good Lord, what a story of that man's life and how he lived and how he died in battle against the French in the, just north of uh, Egypt, I think it was, in the, in the Mediterranean there. But one of the things I love in that movie and... Uh, and it's true that he always used his semaphore. That's what it's called, right? The little flags he would fly from his ship, and uh, they would go down the mast, and they could send. He could send messages to all the other ships, all his other captains, all his other sailors, and just before the big battle against the French, the big one. And uh, he sends those uh, he sends the, those semaphore flags up, and they start to come down the mast one by one, and they're still hung up there. But as they're starting to be put up in order, the way it's shot, Alexander Quarter shot it. It's very well done. We see all the sailors reading it on all the ships. We see well. Three sailors here, and they're all looking up at it. And the it goes from crew to crew, from ship to ship, from department to department. And the message is, England expects every man to do his duty. This is before the big battle. And, well, it's a, it's a good... It's a good message to send, but the way they shoot it is every group, as I say, on every ship, as they're looking up at it being posted, they each say one of them is reading it and says one of the words. So everybody says, England, and then it's a cut to another ship and another crew expects, then it's a cut to another ship and another group of sailors and... uh Every man to do his duty. And folks, it's very well done and it really makes you tingle a little with, and they know this is, whew, this is just before the big battle. And the way they cast it and the way he shot it was that the word man, England expects every 
man on man they use the boys the young boys who were on every british battleship and they were there to learn how to be ensigns they were aristocratic boys and they were well eight or nine or ten years old and so when they just had they're reading it too they're fighting too but folks the way they show it england expects every man and those four or five boys are all looking up at the same spot reading it too and when they say the word man when one of them says the word man well it's great it breaks your heart you think holy mackerel and they're just about hey they're fighting too they're in this too and to do his duty wow there's some on the word duty there are some tough fellas <laughs> they used to say england rules the seas it's because of guys like this and they one has his arms folded and you say holy mackerel look at these fellas they're going to run a cannon or they'll have their sabers out and they'll be up on the ropes and re- ready to swing right over on board the enemy ship these are tough guys and uh, they they're reading it too even though maybe only one of them could read it and uh, another one just nods and the guy oh i remember the guy who nods is a tough customer but he's ready and you think you know what i'm glad he's not swinging across on that rope at me so in any case it's a terrific movie see it sometime that hamilton woman and you know what not from 1941 lawrence olivier and his wife vivian lee vivian lee by the way also played blanche in the streetcar named desire by golly speaking of another leading man to play with marlon brando holy mackerel he was great in that movie and so was vivian lee i've always depended upon the kindness of strangers holy mackerel so in any case see that hamilton woman if you've never seen it before get it see it bring it up on your computer if you've seen it all oh, before or a couple of times a few times you know what see it again it's really really worth it england expects every man to do his duty anyway boy i sure do like that one and i mentioned the bob elliot orchestra and the ray goulding dancers you may have seen you must have seen in some of the obituaries or on some of the news shows where they mention someone just passed away well just about a week ago or 5 days ago bob elliot passed away the great bob elliot and he was 92 years old and his partner ray goulding passed away oh more years ago uh, 1990 they were bob and ray i hope you know bob and ray none of the articles written ray well then really some praised them enough some obituaries praised them enough but 
Holy mackerel, folks. Bob and Ray, they would say, well, you know, they started on radio and they did this, but it was always a sort of a back of the hand slash in a way. They did this, they did that. They did everything, folks. They were so creative, so good. They started just after the service, just in World War II, just after that. They started in Boston. And you know what? They were fabulous right from the start. And everyone seemed to know it. These guys appealed to everyone, first locally in Boston, then across in New York, and they were hired to do this and that. And then the whole country just snapped on to how great they were. They did something I don't think anyone else has ever done. They talked together. It was in a, well, a very subtle, polite kind of uh, middle American way. But right underneath that, right with that, was such great comedy. It was unbelievable. And they were, well, subtle in their way, but just beloved. Every time they were on the Johnny Carson show, every time they they were on the Tonight Show, he they, he loved them. He kept bringing them on because he adored them. Now, you could see in the studio there, as Colonel Jeff had pointed out, that, you know, the audience was, well, they loved them too, but they weren't exactly screaming, laughing, but Carson was. Carson was howling. And, well, I said, well, that, that happens sometimes. In a studio, the, well, everyone in the audience just loved them. They're Bob and Ray. But it's almost something you have to listen to more closely. It's almost something where you don't want to laugh out loud or, or you'll miss the next thing. And they were it was loaded with humor, loaded with jokes, but it was their reality and the premises they set that made it so funny. But one of Bob's favorite characters to me was Wally Ballou. And uh, that was before uh, Cat Ballou in the movie that... Uh, I didn't know that, but but Baloo, B-A-L-L-O-U, is an Irish name. And uh, I I believe, you know, and and it goes way back in Ireland there. But Wally Baloo, I'll tell you what, he he played a a newsman, a newscaster, a reporter. And Wally Baloo would always go out to whatever just happened. And every single time he played it, it was a parody. Folks, this was 50 years ago when they started doing this, maybe 60 years ago. And Wally Ballou would always go on the air, and then here we go, we're switching to Wally Ballou. And every single time you'd, you'd hear him say, Wally Ballou here, at the, he never said his full name because it was a parody of American news 50 years ago that they couldn't quite make the connection fast enough. And you know how often they did it? I just said every single time. And did people get annoyed? I loved it. I howled. Labelou here at the station where this just happened in Bob Elliott's great voice. And my my friend Breslau and I would call each other. They just did it again. They, they did the Labelou again. And we loved it. We would just had, oh, had huge grins. Folks, these folks meant a lot. And they had, by the way, a Broadway show that I saw, that I was in eighth grade, I think. And our English class went, uh, this is on Long Island, where I grew up. And our English class, with the the teacher said, let's go to see the Bob and Ray show. Well, that was the kid. We were all just thrilled. Even as kids, 
We knew these guys are great. How did we even see them? Everyone saw them. How? I don't know. I can't remember. Everyone knew them. Everyone saw them. Everyone loved them. And they had a Broadway show, and we went there into New York. This was a big thing to go to a Broadway show from an eighth grade class. And we said, oh, we were way up in the top and wrote Triple Z, but we didn't care. And here we're at this great Broadway theater. Holy mackerel, they were terrific. We laughed and laughed and slapped each other and punched each other. And well, that was just on the trip in. No, we howled. We loved the show. Oh, folks. And Ray, as I said, passed on earlier. But Bob just did less than a week ago. And I'm friends with his son, Chris. Chris Elliott. And uh, you must know that name. If you don't, well, someone else you've seen a thousand times. But Chris and I have worked together several times. He's a great guy, a great soul, and what a comic, what an actor, what a writer. He's wonderful. And uh, you know what? In fact, I was going to call. I was just saying, saying to Colonel Jeff before the show, you know, should I call Chris? Because I, you know, I haven't called him. You know, I didn't want to impose on him. His father just died, and but I wanted to say to him, you know, we'll say hello and say that I well, that I was sorry this happened, and then say to him, you know, gee, look, do you have anything you want me to say or anything, an experience you want people to hear? And I know he does, but uh, I just ultimately, I decided, well, we both decided here that, you know what, let's leave him alone for another little while. If if his father passed away, if it was a month or two ago, and well, that might be different, but well, I don't want to just, you know, climb in there, or climb over the phone line and say, because it, it, it just has a, it has a feel to you of just, hi, I'm so sorry this happened. Hey, I'm doing a show about him now. Do you have any stories? You know, it, it felt a little like that. And I didn't, I love the guy. But as Colonel Jeff mentioned, sometimes, especially when someone passes away, we all lay off. We all say, oh, I don't want to bother the guy now. But they want to be bothered. Sometimes I think that's a good lesson for me and you folks. You know what? Sometimes the thing they really want is for you to call and say, you know what? I was just thinking about you. So in any case, God bless you, Bob. And you too, Ray. Holy mackerel. Folks just loved you so much and will forever. Their stuff is on YouTube, right? Holy mackerel, folks. It's just so good. And I, I, even, I even listened to a couple of things, you know, in the last few days. And sure enough, a couple of them had that Lee Baloo here. At the, and I just loved it. So now, as far as the Super Bowl goes, I love that. Are they worthy of that love? I don't know anymore. I swear I don't know anymore. This isn't about making fun of them. It's about saying, well, and I know that we all forget these things very soon, even though it's a few days after the Super Bowl. It's Now it's, no one's even thinking of, if you mention the Super Bowl, the, you know, a lot of people will just say, which one? What? When was the last one? You're talking about a hundred years ago? But 
No, of course not. It's the one a few days ago. It's the one where the the Denver Broncos beat the Carolina Panthers and uh, I think beat them pretty good. And uh, where it was uh, publicized, oh, Peyton Manning and a big, uh, you know, big battle with, well, Cam Newton, right? And uh, so I went over to my friend Michael's house and he and his wife Janice, a good friend of ours, my wife, God bless her, doesn't really isn't a big Super Bowl fan. She, uh, like many of you, I'm sure, she likes the commercials, but didn't didn't she didn't want to sit down and listen to me hoot and holler one way or the other, and then order some food or make some food, and she didn't need to do that. And uh, our son was who was home. Our second son was uh, was busy with some schoolwork for the next day. And our first son, the Marine, and uh, he uh, was someone, and I was uh, texting with him back and forth a few times during it. Well, that that would, that play didn't work. But you know what the main thing is, folks? I don't. And then halftime came on. Now I wasn't really watching for the commercials because it doesn't mean anything to me. I I don't know how you are, and if you love them, uh, that's that's fine. I'm. I really mean it. I'll send you a tip of the hat. I I don't get it, though. I don't understand it. I watched with a puzzled look through every commercial, and it was just me and Michael in their den. Uh, his his wife, Janice, uh, was uh, watching from their bedroom, and she's happy, too. She liked to watch the game and watch the commercials, but she doesn't need to sit, uh, sit with us, listening to us, well, hoot and holler or groan. And, uh, you know what? So we're watching and watching and watching, and that's fine. There's a lot I don't understand about how these shows are put together. I I just don't get it. But then the halftime came on. And, of course, you've thought about their halftimes. And, of course, you've heard about their halftimes. And, of course, there's there's so much that goes on, the way they put these things together. And, by the way, the question is, how do they put them together? And I, again... I don't know. I don't know. So it was just Michael and I were watching from his den there, and halftime came on. And I remember I said to Michael, "Why I don't know. I I don't know if I can take this. Can we just turn something else on?" And he's the same way. He said, "Yeah, I know what you mean, but I always I always feel we should watch these things just." to learn what everyone else likes. And that sounded wise to me. I don't know why, but I said to him, in fact, I said, it sounds like a good title. Let's watch just to learn what everyone else likes. Does everyone else like it? I I don't know again. And we sat there in the first minute or two of the halftime show, and even the word for that, the show, the big show, the halftime show, it's even just, oh, you close your eyes and kind of shake your head. And so it was Michael and I sitting on the couch, and Janice is watching in the bedroom, and here I, I were in the, on the couch in the den. And we did something, maybe you, you did too. We just, he and I at a certain point, I said, I, I don't think I can do it. I, I can't do it. I can't take this. I, and I couldn't, by the way, I like, Fine, you know, if you like 
You like Coldplay and you like Bruno Mars. I'm I'm glad for you too. And I I I don't get it. I don't want to watch it, and I don't want to watch them. Well, bending and jumping and making faces and uh, well, I I think Beyonce is is terrific. I'm not a a, a giant fan. I know she's a she's a dancer and a singer, but she's number one. She's great at. I thought she was terrific in that Austin Powers movie, uh, and the colonel agrees. I mean, she was great in that movie. And I know her husband, well, Jay-Z, no, but we, we've worked together a couple of times, and uh, I think he's a, well, a great guy, a gracious guy, and I'm not exactly sure what he does either, which is not, I mean, that's meant as a compliment. I, I don't know what they do. But I know, well, she's just gorgeous. She's unbelievable. It's like, a, oh, come on. That's unbelievable. So, I mean, you could just, for a halftime show, you could just put an 8 by 10 of her on the screen and just leave it there. You don't need announcers. You don't need anyone saying, okay, that's an 8 by 10 of Beyonce. Because you could say, I, I know what it is. That's the only reason I'm watching. But you know what, folks? At a certain point, that two minutes in, three minutes into halftime, we just got up and went into his kitchen to make another sandwich. And uh, his wife, Janice, who, remember, was watching in the bedroom, and he and I were in the den, and Janice came out for a sandwich, too, at the exact same time for the exact same reason. And the, the three of us just ate standing up in the kitchen. We weren't even hungry. We didn't have more than a bite. We made... And they got some great food, some uh, deli food, which, which you don't think of normally, I suppose, for, uh, for well, for Super Bowl food. But we did well. I thought it was great. I mean, the deli food meant, in this case, a platter of pastrami, a platter of corned beef, a platter of bologna, two loaves of rye bread, and that's it. That's about it. There was nothing. There's no side dishes. They had, they had a container of potato salad from the same deli, and that's all right. I had a little of that, a few bites, but that's not what I was there for. That's not what I wanted. So where they have, oh, they had a container of pickles. That was good. That I was there for. But you make yourself on rye bread. You don't need to cut it. Michael and I don't. You make yourself on deli rye bread. You put some deli mustard on it. Meaning, deli mustard is if you don't know, and you should know. But if you don't, it's like taking uh, French's mustard and just leaving it out for a thousand years. And then it would look like deli mustard, which is dark brown and should be and is good with, you know, a little spice. And so you don't have to load it up. You, you know, you don't have to just spread a half inch thick of mustard. But you put a little spread of mustard on there. You load it with pastrami. That's all I need, by the way. I can go for corned beef. And uh, and you can split them. You have them both on there. Put some bologna on there too. But sometimes, you know what? You stay with stay with what works. The bullseye is the is pastrami on rye for me. And then after that, say, and put a pickle on the side there, and then walk back to the TV. But in this case, you know, we made another sandwich, and we were all there for the same reason. Michael, Janice, and I, we couldn't take it, you know, because the halftime. And I don't mean in anger, you know. We just. We didn't have a. We had one bite. We weren't even hungry. We we didn't even talk, and we didn't even smile. We were empty 
from the halftime show, and that's not a good feeling. It took the heart and the joy and the life right out of us. It was way beyond not liking it. Uh, you know, it was... Imagine being, say, like an, a group of unsupervised lunatics in an asylum because the head nurse is too late for her shift, so no one's riding herd on you and making you do things you don't want to do. And after a minute or two, they start giggling with each other, and you start, well, to play and laugh with each other in the asylum and poke your friends in the arm and have fun. But then, of course, the cruel supervisor gets there, and you just shrink back again. That's what we were. We, we were the frightened football fans. We were laughing and yelling and eating. Yeah, fine, during the game, and then the halftime started, and we shrunk back to scared and silent. And uh, remember, we did say, as we were standing there, just waiting, glancing over at the TV in the den, but not wanting to watch it. We were waiting for it to be over. We were, and all the the only thing we said to each other was, why do they do this? Who are they? I don't even know the they. The only thing we all know for sure is that they aren't trying to please football fans. And, you know, okay, and we're watching. We wanted to see a Super Bowl. Now, why are they, why are they doing this stuff? I don't know. I, I really don't. Here are some easy fixes, okay? This is my, you know, thinking about ways to make halftime better. Now, how about Hank Williams Jr.? That's why I mentioned him. He's a, how about a younger, you want a younger demographic? Okay, how about this? Hank Jr. has a son too, Hank the Third, And he's already a musician. And he's going to be in the same business. He's going to write and play his whole life. Good Lord, folks. Do you realize that's a direct line of Hank Williams, Hank Williams Jr., Hank Williams the Third. Never mind staging a show. You know what a good show would be for halftime? Just play some Hank Williams records. Not a dozen, just two. Is that good enough for you? It's good enough for me. Or, you know, here's the best of all. Have a high school marching band go back and forth a few times on the field, and they can play the Hank Williams songs. How about that? I think that would be great. No announcers, no interviews, just the show, and the band playing... My bucket's got a hole in it, and I'm so lonesome I could cry. And that, that is that good enough for you? Because it's good enough for me. Plus, it's a good history lesson for your kids. Mom could say, honey, these songs were a big part of America. And, you know, and as soon as mom just leaves the room to get another bowl of potato chips, dad could lean over and whisper to the boys just saying, you know, just just listen to it. Hey, Every woman in America wanted to sleep with them, too. And do it every year. Make it as traditional as hot dogs. And you know what? I'm, I am I don't wish bad for the other. I wish well for Bruno Mars and Coldplay and that guy. And I mean, God bless you. Good luck. But I don't know you. I don't get you. And I don't want you. And I don't think I'm the only one. I think every other house in America thinks the same thing. Plus, do you realize it, it, it ties into Hank Williams, too? And I don't think I'm being cranky here. I don't understand why we need sh shows that are shows. I know I've made I've mentioned this before about marching bands. I was in a marching band in high school, and I loved it. And 
Not even the great ones. I mean, you know, just the ones that, oh, look, there's one diamond marching into another. You know, regular stuff, but we were good at it. And I love playing those, oh, the marching band songs. I was a drummer, and uh, I was section leader of the drums, of the percussion. And you know what? Boy, that's good enough for me. And I don't need... I'm sorry, fellas. I like all the interviewers. I don't need them on the sideline saying, you know, we're stopping the coach before he goes into the locker room for halftime, and we're going to ask him questions that don't matter. Well, coach, what do you think for the second half? Well, uh, we're going to, you know, uh, try and score a lot more than they do. Is that it? How about you let the guy go now? Leave him alone and let him go be with his team. Let him lie down for a while in his in his chair in the office that leans back. Leave him alone. So I guess I want to say that about, well, Super Bowls in general. You know what? Leave us alone. Please do. I know that, and I know what it's worth. And just like you, we know that Homer is Homer. Pluto is a planet. And so remember, as always... If you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you, folks, the game's over and you've won. And let's see how they do it next year. Be well, and we'll see you here next time. On the air, waiting for a report from our correspondent, Wally Blue, of the world-famous Boca Raton Hotel and Club in Boca Raton, Florida. Ray, we've got a terrific show today. The Boca Raton Hotel is the site of the 28th Annual International Festival of Kazoo Players. Can you imagine that? And they are from all over the world, Bob, more than a thousand of them. I had no idea kazoos played such a big role in modern life. Oh, it does boggle the mind. Fifteen hundred kazooers. Or is it kazooists? We'll ask Wally. He's on the air now. Wally? Wally. Lee Ballou speaking to you from the fabulous Boca Raton Hotel and Club in Boca Raton, Florida. This has to be the most fantastic hotel I've ever seen. Wally. Stately palms waving over gorgeous grounds, priceless antiques, old world decor and charm. Wally. All overlooking the blue Atlantic. 200 cabanas, a sparkling white beach. Wally! Yes, Ray? Uh, Look, everybody knows about the Boca Raton Hotel. And, well, they should, Ray. When you think of the majestic cathedral dining room, the blend of modern convenience with Spanish charm... Wally! Yes, Ray? Uh, Look, we sent you to Florida to report on kazoos. Well, I planned on getting to that. It's fascinating. I've got the report right here, as a matter of fact. The kazoo is a musical instrument consisting of a tube open at both ends with a hole in the side covered with parchment against which the performer sings or hums. Well, that's it, Wally. I mean, that's your report? Well, Ray, there's not a whole lot you can say about kazoos. Well, look, Wally, we promised the audience a terrific show, and you've let us down again. You've been in Florida three days, and you've done nothing. No, no, Ray, that's not true. I've played golf. I've got four championship courses. I've played tennis, 36 great tennis courts. I've shot skeet. i got a rub down. I had lunch at the Cabana Club. Seven restaurants here. The one in the tower is a view that'll knock your eyes out. Ray, you just don't call that doing nothing. 
Squally, my notes say you're to interview the president of the Kazoo Association. Well, I plan to, but he's out deep sea fishing. This hotel overlooks the Gulf Stream, you know. The fishing is fabulous. They've got a whole fleet. But what about this other interview, the winner of the Silver Kazoo competition? I'm glad you brought that up, Bob. Ray, I'm Ray. Ray, you won't believe the problems. Kuziki Suzuki happens to be Japanese, doesn't speak a word of English. But on the kazoo, you can't imagine the music he makes on that little instrument. Well, now that's better, Wally. And uh, you have him there with you, do you? Uh, no. No, he's shopping. Fabulous shopping here. But he was here to make a recording of his performance. Well, now that's good thinking, Wally. Let's hear it. Well, we would, Ray, except, well, you know, to record, you've got to push down both of the little buttons. Well, Wally, it looks like you've botched it again. Your job is really on the line. What I can do, I have a kazoo here, the same type Suzuki played, and I could give you my rendition of his song. <laughs> Wally, I can't believe a Japanese played Toot Toot Tootsie goodbye. All right, Ray. Actually, he played some dainty little Japanese piece. All I wanted was for you to get the feel of it. Wally, surely you must have somebody there you can interview. Holy... No, Ray, I'm standing here all alone outside the hotel's great hall. Uh, Wait a minute. Uh, Sir? Yeah? Uh, I see you're carrying a kazoo. Are you a kazoo player? Oh, nine, 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 my boy. I'm the very famous psychiatrist, Professor Hummel Hummel. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, if I may ask, just what's your connection with the kazoo convention? Convention? We don't call them conventions no more. Oh? No, we call them group meetings. It had to do with the wife. A convention, the wife says, whoop de doo buster. You ain't going to no convention without me, you know? Well, just what do you do here at the group meeting, then? Well, now, Dumkov, what do you think we do at a group meeting? We sit around and meet it, uh, in the group. Watch out there. Step aside. Look at that. Those big bookends don't care for nothing. This is Wally Blue at the Boca Raton Hotel. Say, Wally, can you speak up? We can hardly hear you. It sounds like you're in the middle of a herd of elephants. I can't hear you, Ray. It's this herd of elephants I'm in the middle of. Bob, Ray, they're marching. Would you believe that? Two by two in perfect step into the great hall of the hotel. Big doors are opening. I'm walking into the hall now. Bob, Ray, this is truly an impressive sight. Elephants? It must be an impressive sight. It's not the elephants, Ray. It's the Great Hall. Never seen anything like it. The ceiling is 22 feet high. They have a hydraulic stage. Activity going on everywhere. The elephants must be part of the big show they're rehearsing. Here's a gentleman who seems to be in charge. Sir? Get the elephants quiet, okay? Make those elephants be quiet. Sir? Indians to make up. Will someone please get the Indians to make up? Script girl? God, nothing's ever simple. Uh, excuse me, sir. I'm Wally Ballou. I'm here uh, out of the side, but... Is the Grand Kazoo Chorus ready? Wally Ballou, is it? Well, 22 kazoos to you, Wally. <laughs> Dudley Doodleman, Wally. Director of the 28th Annual Extravaganza, Kazoos Through History. You've staged this show every year for 28 years? Oh, no, we've planned it every year, but until now, we've never found a hotel which could handle it. The Boca Raton Hotel is out of sight. We can do things here we couldn't do anywhere else. Well, it looks like a fantastic show, all right, but how do elephants fit into an extravaganza about kazoos? Well, the elephants are one of our big numbers, Wally. They're on stage with Hannibal, who carries the golden kazoos to the Chinese. We follow that with a very touching scene where the Chinese, in their appreciation, give the Western world the secrets of gunpowder and chop suey. Mr. Doodleman, Hannibal crossed the Alps. Marco Polo visited China. Well, uh, Wally, we take a few liberties. Now, in another big scene, we have the friendly Indians showing the pilgrims how to make kazoos. 
And then Washington's throwing the kazoo across the Delaware, and then we take the kazoo all the way to modern times, right to the astronauts planting the first kazoo on the moon. This is a fantastic show. Wally, this is nothing. What's really fantastic is the Boca Raton Hotel. You can always find dancing elephants, but where can you find a hotel with beauty and charm and facilities like this? Oh, hold, hold, hold the kazoo chorus. We have to get the lights right. Now, Charlie, when the kazooers march in, I want the uh, trooper spot to be crisscrossing. Do you follow that? Now, if you have problems, ask the hotel people. They'll show you. It's amazing. The hotel people are so cooperative Mr. here. Mr. Doodleman, I guess your production is the most extravagant they've ever had here. Wally, they've staged a full circus here. They could handle the road company of war and peace in this hall. I never dreamed what could be done here. Can you imagine what we'll be doing next year? Anthony on the barge, 100 slaves playing sweet kazoo to Cleopatra, Nero kazooing while Rome burns, Moses bring the kazoo down from the mountain, little Abraham Lincoln playing the kazoo by the fire in his log cabin, Thomas Edison inventing the electric kazoo. <laughs> 